Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, this is Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. This episode, I'm joined by Chris Moynes, Senior Financial Advisor and Managing Director of One Sports and Entertainment Group. Chris is one of the premier financial advisors to NHL players and author of two books, After the Game, Challenges for the Retiring Professional Athlete, and The Pros Process. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate on iTunes, Spotify, and all the streaming channels. You can find me, Mike McKenna56, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, I'm on it. Six Degrees fans, the Super Bowl is right around the corner. If you were looking to place a bet on any of the sports going on, betonline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. How about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? You know he's going to be back. He's getting the practice reps in. That gives the Chiefs the edge. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino it never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Support for Six Degrees is also brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I know it's one of those subjects that we don't talk about often, but I got to tell you, the Lawnmower 3.0, listen to this baby rev up. You know what's cool? It's got a light on it. It's not always easy to see what you're doing, but with the Lawnmower 3.0, you can't miss a spot. It's an unbelievable product. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine that anybody would have a loved one that wouldn't appreciate this thing. Uh, it's why the Manscaped team has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months, a year and a half, perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved... Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 6degrees at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code 6degrees. Try it. Guarantee you're going to like it. Let's get to the show. Chris Moynes, financial advisor extraordinaire. Take it away. You have quite literally written the book on transitioning into retirement professional athletes. It's called After the Game. What was the inspiration for the book? What experiences do you draw from? How did you find the process to put all of these into words, put them on paper? Thanks for having me, Mike. Really, uh, it's a great pleasure to be here with you. And uh, I remember our our last getting together plan, playing some tennis down in Hilton Head Island with uh, Dave Andrews and winning the American League uh, championship. So uh, I'm, I'm really pleased to be here with you today. That was a prestigious title and one of the highlights of my hockey career outside of the rink, without question. I couldn't move Dave that. will be happy to hear it. <laughs> exactly. Just, we can't tell Dave that, that's all. Uh, so after the game, the, the, the whole idea from after the game really came from a buddy of mine. His name is uh, Steve Montador, and he's unfortunately not with us anymore. But he was at my house one day, and uh, this is on a uh, Saturday afternoon after he had come and seen my, uh, my little guy play hockey. And he was struggling and there was, you know, not much more to, to say about that. He was just having a tough time. And he was, he was uh, in a situation where he was, you know, he was bought out by the Chicago Blackhawks and had some con- uh, concussion issues. Uh, but he re- was really just struggling and he, he felt like 
he needed to get that story out. And so we started talking that afternoon and, uh, you know, he just, he said, I gotta, I gotta write something. I've got to put it out there and tell people that it's not as easy as everybody thinks it is. The whole idea of, of being an NHL hockey player, earning lots of money, there's, a, there's more to, to it after the game. And so I, I said to him, listen, let, let's, let's work on this. And, and, and so that was a Saturday when saw him on the Wednesday at his house and had further discussions around that. And two days later he was dead. And uh, unfortunately his, his heart stopped. And, and um, you know, I think the, uh, you know, the, the idea of, of what the messaging was going to be in the book had to get out. And so it was my promise to him when he did pass to say, Hey, I, I've got to, I got to continue on with this message. And so I talked to uh, my, my publisher who is in fact, my dad helped me with the first book called the prose process. And I told him what I wanted to, to do with it and, and talk about the challenges that, that he and lots of other people have in, in the retirement game after their game, finding their way, finding their passion. So we compiled a, a list of questions. I think there's like 30 or 35 questions. And we did extensive interviews of not only the players, but also the spouses of players. Because at the end of the day, it's not just the player who goes through this. And you'll attest to this because yeah. you've got a family at home. And, and you know, it, it can be a struggle for, for the, you know, the family to, to kind of get their footing around what, you are going to do after the game and all of a sudden you're, you're never you're never there and now all of a sudden you're there a ton and and so there are a ton of challenges that people just don't think about when you're a retired hockey player at you know in your 20s or in your 30s it doesn't really matter when the fact is is that it typically will not come as you think it will like it's not going to end on your terms it's typically going to end on somebody else's terms and so I, I really thought about the after the game um, kind of mentality. I actually put it into my practice. We, we have a division and, and Grant Klitsum, I think who's actually been on one of these, yep. these podcasts here. Uh, Grant runs our after the game program and he helps guys while they're still playing, talking about the transition that they're going to have to go through. And, and I, I really think that that was a, a huge initiative for one sports to, to uh, undertake because it's not just about the players and their money. It, it's about, it's about life. And I really believe that our practice at one sports is, is a lot about life management. Sure. A lot of it starts with money, but it's about life management and having the discussions that we have with these players and their darkest fears and their, you know, their biggest aspirations. There's a, there's a great um, connection with our, our ability to relate to what they're going through. And so for the addition of Grant Clitson to come on and, and be a part of that after the game program, he, he's doing conversations with guys who are playing now. And there are studies out there that actually tell you that if you're if you're if you have an outside focus outside of hockey a hobby or an interest and you 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 look at that while you're playing it will actually enhance your playing while you're you're playing because you're not so fully focused on just the sport that you're playing and so we we really want to engage those those messages or those those conversations with these players uh, sure, there's lots of guys who are, you know, 18, 19, 25 years old who still aren't ready for that conversation yet. 
but at least we have it as a platform for them to, to, to be able to you know, look at when they're ready. How do you bridge the gap between being somebody's wealth advisor, being their friend, looking out for their best interest? It's a big decision for a young athlete to make who to work with. So how do you build that trust between yourself and your clients? Well, I think, you know, I, I think that uh, the real important part is, is the, the human interaction. It, it's, it's being able to have hard conversations. It's about making sure that, that people are aware that we're here to help um, and educate. I think the education component is huge. Uh, when the education conversation comes up, I think the parents really like that because it's not just about doing everything for, for a young, young person. It, it's about helping them understand the importance of it for their, their longevity, their, their lifetime. And as much as an 18-year-old first-round draft pick is in the, you know, the mix of it right now, to be able to have some very, very frank conversations about should I be doing this with my money or should I not be doing this with my money, like you earn trust pretty quickly. And, and sorry, I don't, I, don't mean, I don't mean that lightly. You, you earn it. It, it, it comes from time, but you know, the first couple of interactions when you're having with a player and, and you, you help them do little things like doing the right thing about paying their credit card off or learning online banking, little things like that will, will keep them coming back to asking the questions. And our team is really focused on that. It's not just about working with the, the players while they're playing. It, it truly is to, to work with them for a long, long time. And, you know, for, for me to, 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 to really realize that, that you, don't, you don't need to um, put money into to places where it's not necessary at the beginning. You know, a three-year entry-level contract is, is no guarantee of money for, for life. And, and so what we try to build is certainty and understand that, that we will get to that long-term kind of investment stuff down the road. But right now, we want to protect what you have until you have a little bit more certainty. More certainty means more term and more dollars. Again, uh, an entry-level deal with some signing bonus money is, is not long-term money. It means compounding interest. It means your ability to, li to live off of that for a while. Like you said, it's not a huge amount of, of long-term money, but it's a very big sum of short-term money when we're talking an entry-level contract. You know, it's easy for young players to fall into the pitfalls of different people pulling them in different directions. So, you know, what are some of the mistakes that you find young athletes typically make? And on the flip side of that, what are some of the smart things that they can do with their money to set themselves up for later in life? Yes, uh, we actually write about this in the first book about the land, the landmines that, that, are, that are out there. Uh, landmines are, are basically, you know, bombs in the ground that, that if guys are walking through life and, and, and they don't realize that these things are out there, they could really be seriously impacted by, a, um, by, by one of these things happening. One of them is the fact that they think that this money is going to continue to, to roll in. Um, this is, it could, it could be over in the next shift. And, and so we have to be very aware that, that we, we have to, to know about, um, you know, the idea that this could be over tomorrow. And that's one of the biggest things. Um, another is everybody knows who you are as a pro athlete. 
with today's social media and, and everybody knowing about um, what your salary is, what your income level is, you have a target on your back from day one. And, and people will target you um, for their dreams. And I talk about that as, you know, the, the idea of private equity or, or hey, you know, give me $150,000 to put into this restaurant or bar uh, and help me make my dream come true. Um, and, and, you know, I always say to guys, every single day, we, we have to vet these things for, for players because people are coming after them all the time, that target on their back. And 99.9% .9 of them are just not good ideas. Yeah. And so for me, I always talk about their, their contract as their lottery win. Okay. And my job is to help protect that lottery win. No offense to the player. They're very talented and somebody's going to pay them a lot of money to, to, uh, to play hockey. That's great. But that's your lottery win you don't need to then turn around and take that entry level or whatever contract you're, you're on and go and try to hit a home run like a 10 bagger 10 bagger means, you know, take, take a hundred grand and make it into a million 10 times earnings. And you just don't need to do that. Well, what we need to do is to protect that money so that it will grow over the life of, of, of you. And the idea of, of hitting home runs, and I also used to uh, use the, the baseball analogy. My job is to hit singles and doubles to make sure that the runs keep coming in. Because if I'm going to try to swing for the fences, I'm going to strike out a lot. And you don't really need that. When you're thinking of a player transitioning to retirement, huge process, lots of things go into it. What are some of the best things a player can do to set themselves up so that they don't crash when it comes time to retire so that they have some sense of purpose of balance of direction in life when it comes time. I think it has to do with passion. You have to find something that you're passionate about for a lot of guys who are coming from the hockey world. I think that hockey remains part of the passion, but for some guys it's, it's, you know, a, a completely different um, uh, passion. I'll use one example, Pavel Kabina, uh, Stanley Cup winner in Tampa Bay and played in, in Toronto and Philadelphia, Atlanta. Um, you know, his passion was cars. And he talked to me about, you know, what am I going to do when I'm done? Boinsy, what am I going to do? And I, I said, well, Kubi, you love cars. And so why don't you get into the car business and, and, and continue on with that passion? And so he's got a car dealership down in Tampa and it's like real high-end cars, kind of the stuff that he was really interested in, passionate about. And he's really made a great go of it. And, and so it, it always comes back to passion and, and the ability to, to, it's not about having to go to work. You know what I mean? It, it's, if, you, if you've done everything right way during your playing days, I've always said to my guys that that's where your salary is going to come from is, is your, your core circle of what you've put together. And if you build that properly, you can make the best decision that you could ever do. You don't have to go to work. You can actually take your time and find out what you're passionate about and then go and create a life that you're going to love. It's not like you have to go and do a nine to five job because you didn't do the right things while you were playing. So that's the one thing that I always kind of talk about, especially while they're still playing whether it be Grant or myself talking about after the game, 
find an outside passion or a secondary passion that you can go and throw yourself into so that it doesn't feel like a job. Chris, it's weird for me to call you Moinsy. I'm still not used to that yet, but everybody in hockey seems to call you that. So do you feel like you're in the club with a nickname like Moinsy, which you could, you could walk into any locker room and say, Hey, I'm Moinsy. And I think most people would look at you and go, okay, this guy's one of the boys. I'm going to give this guy my ear. <laughs> well, I, I don't know where it actually came from, but yeah, it's uh, it is pretty prominent to be, be called that even, even my staff and my partners call me Moinsy. Uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, I don't know, a term of endearment, I hope, but yeah, even, oh yeah. even the young kids of, of our clients call me uncle Moinsy. So it's not even uncle Chris, it's uncle Moinsy. So if it helps, it helps. I, I, I think, uh, the one thing that I've been able to do during this lockdown is, is, uh, is transition from a, uh, a haircut like yours, uh, which is very easy when you're on the road to a little bit more of uh, a little bit of the hockey flow. So maybe that's going to help as well. You've got to stylize it. That would look good on the tennis courts, the flow that you have going right now. Maybe you could have had the Bjorn Borg headband with it. Exactly. <laughs> so you've, you've got a big stable of clients. Uh, I'm not asking you to name anybody, but you know when you're managing really this volume of money, this quantity of money, I think a lot of people would look at that as you know a, a big project, right? Like well, all this money, but it doesn't really change the fundamentals of investing. If I'm right, you know, like it's a long-term play. How do you convince athletes that you're setting yourself up for 25, 35 years down the road for 20 years, you're basically just making your life accessible and easier for when it does come to retire. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm going to use an example because I think it's, it's really apropos for, for what you just said about, um, you know, the amount of money obviously continues to grow with the contracts and the number of players that we have, but it all comes back to the process. And, and if we can put um, a process into place for these players uh, on their money side, because, I mean, you tell me you had a process for your workouts, for your recovery, for your uh, travel, for your, you know, your every single day for, for playing as a professional. Why not just have one more piece of that, of that kind of process and put it into your, 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 your money world. So that's the first thing. And, and the example that I'll use is, is uh, a young, young whippersnapper from Lethbridge, Alberta named Christopher Stieg when he was first in the Boston system playing in Providence was introduced to me. And he said that he wanted to save $200 every two weeks from his, uh, from his American league paycheck. And, and, and I, I said, well, that, that's, that's awesome. I mean, it's starting the process. And this was, you know, in his first year pro. And, and as he went on and had further success and, and, and won a couple of cups in Chicago, the contracts got larger. And we went from sweeping $200 every two weeks from his, his uh, paycheck to $2,000 every two weeks. Uh, and, and as he progressed, we were sweeping $20,000. You know, the numbers start to seem big. And then finally, in his, in his, in his heyday, when he was really earning some money, we were sweeping $200,000 every two weeks. The only difference was the number of zeros from the start point of $200 to 200000 
and nothing else changed. It was the process that he was used to at the beginning of his career and he ran it all the way through. And he really helped himself set up him up for not only life after hockey, but multi-generational wealth for kids and grandchildren to come. And that's really what it's about to start with. It's about the process. How often do you find parents hurt more than they help or are friends, you know, giving advice that maybe doesn't fall in line with what you've experienced in the real world with, I mean, I have a degree in economics. I spent a lot of time in investments, uh, interning with various money management companies. And mm-hmm. I find that what I learned in school in the real world didn't always coincide with the traditional mindset of how parents would invest or the advice that they would give their kids. So how do you work through those potential pitfalls? Because you're not dealing just with the athlete. You're also yeah. dealing with the family. Yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, I, and I think that, uh, you know, parents uh, of these kids are really looking out for the best interest of, of the, their, their son as they're going through this career. But, you know, you're right. It is a different, a different kind of, um, mindset. Um, you know, I, I had one parent ask me why I had uh, his young, his his son. Um, you know, only in money market cash at the beginning of his career. He was he was like, why not? Why aren't you putting him into to long term mutual funds and long term growth things? And I'm like, okay, well, I understand that you're talking about, you know, for for your. Uh, your, your financial plan, like you're 50 years old and, and you're, you're putting money into a, you know, a, a retirement fund. Uh, but, you know, this isn't retirement money for this young man right now. This is, this is an uncertain time, even though you've got a three-year contract, you need certainty. And that certainty comes from cash. Because if you were to think back to 2008 or even into March of, of this year, uh, of sorry, 2020, if you, if you had a, a young kid who, who needed cash on hand to buy a car or, you know, pay his credit cards off and you just thought long-term, you know, mutual funds and you put him into a, a mutual fund in March and he would have been down 30%. And let me just tell you, if it's a young kid who just started with you, he's probably not going to be your client for very long. He's out the door, man. Nope. It's, it, it's funny because you're talking about the long game, but they want to see results right away. Right. And, you know. and sometimes the results mean not even the growth of it. It's just about making sure it's stable and right. earning something, but not going down. The market's not going to always run at 25%. No, nope. the nope. market's going to run at 0%. Sometimes it's going to run into 2008, 2009 recessions. Yep. We're going to run into pandemics. You've got to be able to power through that. You have to have the equity and the, and the cash on hand to do so. That's right. And it's all about the asset mix that you build together for the, the individual and their circumstances. It's not about doing it based on what's happening in the world. And we had lots of, of, of discussions in March of 2020 um, that were hard discussions. But, you know, the, the idea of sticking to the plan, sticking to the process, typically it doesn't turn around as fast as it did in 2020. Yeah. Um, but it does. And so if you're, you're able to to um, steadfastly stick to the process like we, we try to and, and we you know, want our players to, to do that, then you're going to see success long term. And, and again, I've been doing this for, uh, I, I did an interview with BNN Bloomberg a couple months ago and the lady uh, said to me, so Chris, you've been doing this for almost three decades. And I'm like, whoa, 
Hang on. <laughs> I've only been doing this for 28 years. So I've got a couple more until I get into that three decade kind of moniker. You didn't appreciate her rounding up on you. No, no. It's amazing how resilient to me the market is. When you look at it over time, I mean, if you can click along at the S&P, you're looking at 10% rate of inflation, 3%, like it almost doesn't matter what happens in the, other, in the rest of the world, whether it's a president, whether it's pandemics, eventually the market recovers. And that's the power of compounding interest, really, right. like getting your money in early. Is yeah. it hard to convince players not to go out and buy that $80,000 car right off the bat on their entry level deal and get them to tuck away maybe half of that? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's um, the, the first thing that guys are, are going to buy are, is the car. I mean, I, I it's guess. It's a standard purchase. It it's is. a status yeah. symbol for a lot too. It is. And, you know, I, I, I still, I, I like to think of myself as not being a yes man. And so I, I don't want for, for a guy to call me up and just say, hey, Moinsy, I, I want that Range Rover right now or that that G-Wagon or whatever the case may be, I always try to, to talk a little bit of sense into them. If it's a, an entry-level deal, hey, you know what? Why don't you, you kind of get some, some wheels that you're going to be happy with, but you don't have to go in and, you know, act like you're a first-line player who's, who's been in the league for 10 years. I mean, there's time for that. And, Buy a used car. Right. Buy a used really nice car. <laughs> you don't have to drive it off the lot brand new. Yeah, because uh, of course my my role is to help appreciate assets. If you're talking about a car driving it off the lot, that's a depreciating asset, and so we try to stick stick away from that. It is, uh, you know, uh, something that 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 is always talked about, especially first first deals. And you know, I think the the other thing that guys also forget about is is the cost of insurance. So it's not just the price of the car. Uh, but it's also the insurance because typically if you're signing an entry level deal, you're an 18, 19 or 20 year old. And let me just tell you that the rates on, on that sometimes are, you know, mind blowing. And so you kind of have to think about the whole situation versus just the brand of the car. Uh, but you know, it, it is a necessary evil uh, to get from home to the rink and I get it, but it, it's also something that I use in, in my side of things to help build their credit as well. Cause a lot of these guys don't have credit, um, uh, you know, ratings at, at this point. So for me to be able to either finance or lease a car for, for a player, uh, will go a long way for, for them to, to, to really help build their credit up as well. So that's just another kind of another layer to think about as compared to just buying. That's a great point about credit. It's part of the life lessons that players don't get while they're playing junior hockey, college hockey, you haven't built your credit up. You haven't paid bills. And I've played with players that have just taken all their bills, dumped them on their agent and said, hey, you take care of this for me. And I look at them, I'm like, man, you're 20 years old, you're 22. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to pay bills, especially in today's world where you can put them all into automatic payments online. Yeah. Getting into those habits, yeah. you know, retraining the mindset to do it. Do you see the effects in a positive manner of, of the kids that have really come out and done their best to take ownership of things themselves yeah. to make life easier down the road? Yeah. I mean, we, we can certainly do a, a lot of that stuff for them, but we, we want them to do it on their own. Um, we, we want to teach them. Education is a huge part of my practice and uh, I think it goes a long way. Um, 
as we're doing things for players, um, we really want them to be aware of, of what and why. And even as we're setting them up, you know, within the process, um, a lot of the things that we're doing with them and for them, they may not even understand until maybe five, 10 years down the road. Uh, and, and so I, I really want them to understand why we want them to be involved in the process because at the end of this, um, you're going to have a long life and, and you're, you're going to need to have certain life skills that are kind of innate in you and I right now, but for a 20 year old, we really have to, to, to work through them. And, and, you know, as we, we signed a bunch of uh, guys from the draft this year, one of the, the biggest intakes is being able to have Shannon, my, my uh, service director and myself helping them, learn the online banking and credit card stuff and watching it and making sure that there's, you know, no fraud on it. Um, but to me, an educated client is a better client because they'll understand why we're trying to get them to do things and, and allow them to, to learn. And players are inherently coachable if they've made it to this level. What you just described is in the goalie world and the hockey world, we always look at things that well, this guy is really good at diagnosing his own problems. And you can tell that when he works with his coach, it's a conversation and that furthers him. You know, it's not just all on the advisor or on the coach. You found that retirement had different periods for athletes. What are some of the phases that players go through once they get to that stage of life? Yeah, the, uh, the phases are there. You know, there's the whole idea of, um, you know, the honeymoon phase is, you know, when you're first, you're first finished and you're kind of like, okay, so what am I going to do with my life? And, and it's pretty cool. Cause I can go to the golf course all the time. I can hang out with my buddies. And, and then you start getting into the whole, man, I, I don't know what to do. I, I can't do this anymore. Like this is boring. I'm going stir crazy. I can only hit so many golf balls. What do I do? I need a sense of purpose. Yeah. I need purpose and I need passion. And, and that's really where it gets back to, to, to redefining, who you are as, as a person, because the one thing that I see with pro athletes is, is their definition is a hockey player. Let's talk about it as, as in the hockey world. And, and really you're, you're not a hockey player for life. You're, you're Mike McKenna. Yeah. And, and you need to define who you are as a person and you need to find out who you are as that person outside of the hockey world. And for me, that's, you know, you go from the honeymoon phase to, to kind of what the hell am I doing phase. And, and then it, it's kind of rejuvenation phase where you, you finally figure out, hey, this is who I am as a person. And this is what I'm going to do for a long time to come if I've found that passion. Um, we've also ha- had people kind of, you know, jump at things and, and try to, to, to grasp at straws. Uh, when they finish because they, they don't know what their passion is and they're trying to find a purpose in life, but they, you know, they're, they're working for somebody else or they're doing something that they may most likely shouldn't. Uh, that's one of the reasons we, we go through some, some different characteristic testing uh, with our players on the after the game program to help them figure out what they may be really good at. And, and those I think are very beneficial. You've done work with the players associations, PHPA. I know the NHLPA is starting to try to get on board and doing some career things. Mm-hmm. Has it been something that you've seen a lot of growth in the ability of the organizations to 
help their players? Well, so that, I mean, I guess I might be a little controversial here, um, but what the hell, right? Um, I don't think the league is doing enough. I don't think the PA is doing enough. I um, you know there's been announcements uh, from Matthew Schneider saying that, that uh, you know, we're going to throw some money at education. I think that's a Band-Aid um, and it's not a, a, a real fix. Um, I truly believe that they need to uh, do more uh, within the, the, the PA. Uh, I know that the alumni talks about doing after the game stuff, but you know, the, the unfortunate thing to me is, and it gets back to Steve Montador and his struggles, you know, when you're not on an NHL roster anymore, um, as much as, you know, the, the alumni says, you know, they send out those, those uh, social media posts, like welcome to the alumni. And it kind of feels fake to me. Um, players are an asset to the league and to the PA. And as soon as they leave the league, it's like they didn't exist. Yep. And that's a sad state of affairs, especially with the amount of money that the players make the league and the owners I really truly believe that they need, there needs to be a better effort in, in programming, in helping athletes. Uh, I, I truly believe that the NHL and the NHLPA just don't do enough in that regard. And that's my, my humble opinion. Uh, it's part of why I wrote the book on after the game. Um, and, and, you know, not everybody has seen it and, and will see it. Um, but I, I, I wanted to make my, my own attempt to, to have help out there. And that's one of the reasons why Grant Klitsam is the director of my after the game program, because there's nothing out there like it for sure. It's an, it's an honest assessment. I, I can tell you from personal experience from somebody who bounced between the American league and the NHL for most of his career, the moment I was off of that NHL roster, even while I was on it, I wasn't getting help from the PA. Right. If I had a problem, okay, well, what do you want us to do about it? And there were moments where I needed help, yeah. but I wasn't a priority. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, I was a, a bit player and it's frustrating. It's a really tough feeling for an athlete to know that you need help and you get an answer like, well, what do you want us to do? Yeah. How do, how do you, how do you square that? You know, that's difficult to really accept, especially yeah. when you're playing hockey in the best league in the world. Right. right. There's no excuse not to treat the players with the utmost respect and that give them the help they need in those situations, especially with the dollars. Like like Moinsey, there's there's no limit to the amount of resources that could be put into this for players, yeah. I would imagine. That's that's the 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 darn truth to it. Um, you know, they are when you're playing, you are a piece of meat. Um, and when you're you're done, the meat is discarded. And um Again, that's unfortunate, especially with the resources that the NHL uh, teams, the league, the PA have. Um, for for me, that's the thing that has to get fixed. Uh, I, and I don't, I mean, I don't know how to do it. It's an old boys club um, at the PA, uh, unfortunately. And um, you know, I'm not even going to get into the salaries at the PA versus what the resources that they're given to players. But um, that's a whole another story. Yeah. Well, there's a big difference between a retirement for a hockey player and retirement for a civilian. You know, that's an educational process for people as well. I remember going for a home loan and they asked me for my pension because I was a retired hockey player. 
And I had to compose myself. I, I didn't even understand the question. It didn't cross my mind that, oh, oh my God, like these people think that I'm legit retired. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, no, no. Like I still have to work here. You know, it's, you see that firsthand, just how difference building your wealth is for an athlete versus it is for a civilian, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of amazing. You, you could have 10 million in the bank and no contracts on, on the, on the, the, the go at the time. And the bank will basically not give you a home loan. Yeah. Where's um, your, where's your income? Yeah. And, and, you know, let alone the 10 million that's sitting in the, you know, in the bank or in the investment accounts, but I've got no income coming in. Part of my, my role is to make sure that the, they're, they're, you know, the athletes are putting their money into their, into their circle so that when they're finished playing the game, that's where their salary is going to come from. And, and when I go into a bank and, and tell a, a bank manager that this player has X and this is the, the, the plan for income from them, um, they still kind of scratch their head and be like, but I, he doesn't have a job. I'm like, yeah, but he did a damn good job of saving yeah. money while he was playing. So, you know, I can generate at 5% on 10 million bucks. That's 500 grand a year. That's a pretty, pretty good income. Yeah. And it's sustainable. Sustainable without even touching the capital. Yeah. Right. And yeah. It's funny when you walk into a bank that you have to teach a bank about portfolio for about portfolio loans. Yeah. <laughs> That's a hard word for me to say today, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you must have some pretty funny stories. And pretty funny experiences of people trying to rope a player into a business deal. Can you think of any of those that stand out that you just looked at first glance and laughed at? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember I was in Kitchener, Waterloo, uh, and uh, I was meeting with Dennis Weidman. And, uh, and he had somebody in his, in his network uh, that was pitching to him a frozen drink idea. And I got to the rink and... Um, there was a couple of guys there with a little kind of hand cooler and he had these, these frozen drink things in there. And he was asking for $200,000 from wides uh, to put into this drink um, outfit and uh, be a, a shareholder. And, and I just, I looked at him and, and I just, I just, I, I laughed, I shook my head and I laughed. And um, we, to this day still talk about that because it was somebody else's dream uh, that they were pitching to wides and uh, luckily um, we we talked him out of it and uh, he kept his 200,000 and was able to keep that growing for for a long time. Do you think Shark Tank has helped or hurt? It's probably hurt. Um, you know, there, there, there are some really good uh, business ideas out there um, but again back to the whole target on your back uh, when you're a pro athlete you have a target on your back and as much as there could be good business ideas out there, there are a thousand bad ones. And again, you know, the player's contract is their lottery win. Uh, my job is to protect that contract or lottery win so that uh, they will have that money in perpetuity. I don't need to hit home runs. I need to hit singles and doubles. Consistently. That's keep the runs coming in. That's what you yeah. have Because if you're swinging for the fences, you're going to strike out a lot. Lots more to come with Moinsey after these words. With a new year comes tons of new big games and sports. With big games, you need big stakes. Kansas City Stakes has the cuts you crave to celebrate the playoffs and the big game. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day 
and save up to $25 on combos perfect for game day. Plus, get free shipping with code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. Try out the snack pack combo featuring small plates with big flavor, mini beef Wellington steak burger sliders, mac and cheese melts, shrimp wrapped in bacon. Every order is flash frozen, delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Basically every cut of steak imaginable, plus appetizers, desserts, barbecue, and so much more. Again, go to kansascitysteaks.com slash gameday. Use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for free shipping. Kansas City Steaks, big games, big taste. And don't forget about longtime friend of the show, Skin Effects Wraps. The best way to get your helmet looking good, get a new design on it, get rid of that old style, get the new style. Hit up Skin Effects Wraps on Instagram. Mark Magnanti is the guy in charge of it from Rochester, New York, great American company. He can make your dreams come true when it comes to helmet design. It's an affordable way. It's a quick way. It looks fantastic. My mask is currently wrapped in a Vegas Golden Knights theme. You cannot tell that it used to be something else. So if you need your mask done in a hurry, in an affordable way, visit Skin Effects Wraps on Instagram. And if you're a goaltender looking to improve your game, I'm available for coaching through 44visionhockey.com. You go on, you create an account, and you put my name in as your coach. I'll take all your video from Live Barn, from Hockey TV. We upload those, take all the clips, and then we go through it all in a Zoom meeting. You get a couple of clips that you get to refer back to that'll be on your player page at all times. I take what I know of the position, what I've learned from all the goalie coaches that I've worked with, put it into your game through a pro's eye. So go to 44visionhockey.com. Again, put me in as your coach. I'd love to work with you. And now more with Chris Moynes. One of the first books they have you read when you get into econ classes is Warren Buffett way. Yeah. You know, and, and his approach to investing was always to hold long term. You're not trying to go for that short, quick hit. You hear so often, buy low, sell high. Mm -hmm. Is that really a sustainable way to build assets, to build wealth? Well, I, I, I think that the, that, that moniker of, of buying low and selling high, um, it, if done within a strategy, is, is important. Uh, for me, I always talk about investments as um, – governed by an investment policy statement that is Nobel Prize winning research. It states that that 92% of your asset return, your, your investment return, will come from one single decision. That is the asset mix. So the mixture between stock and bond. And the other 8% comes from market timing, security selection, and excuse this term, Mike, but financial pornography. Financial pornography is the noise that is CNN. It is the noise that is in the locker room saying, hey, I've got a tip for you. Like that's noise. You don't need like, forget about the 8%. Let's really worry about the, the, the 92%. And if we can do that within that mix, let's just say it's a 60, 40, 60 equity and 40, 40% uh, fixed income. When, the markets are doing well and the 60 kind of sneaks up to 65. And obviously the, the, the fixed income is, is lagging at 35. That's when you, you actually rebalance. So you're able to sell high, but within a process. So anytime an asset mix waivers, you know, more than three or 4%. So I'm talking about five, 
we're taking the profits off of that 65 and bringing it back to 60 and adding the rest of that money into the, into the fixed income side. So the idea of buying low and selling high is good as long as you can be doing it within a process. Because let me just tell you, if, if, I, if you're a client of mine and we have Apple at $10 and, and it goes to $100 and I'm telling you that you should sell some of that, that, that holding, you're like, not a chance, Moinsey. There's no way I'm going to get rid of Apple because it's doing really, really well. Right. But on the flip side, when Apple goes from 100 to 10 and I'm saying, you know, you know, we got to hold on to it. And you're like, not a chance, Moinsey. I got to sell it. I got to get out. So it's all about the strategy and the process that you put into play so that you can take the emotions out of your decision making because left to your own devices, your emotions play havoc with you and they, they make you make knee jerk reactions when you're, you know, you hear all this, this turmoil and, and the world is coming to an end with a pandemic. People are saying, let's sell everything. Cause I don't know what's going to, what it's going to look like. Well, no, you shouldn't really do that. You should stick to the plan. So I try to take the emotion, um, the emotional aspect of investing out of the hands of the clients so that we can stick to the process and, and, and move on. Talked to an old goalie named Tommy Soderstrom recently, and he loved to invest. That's what he knew was his calling in life, but he liked to gamble was actually what he liked to do. Right. And he, you know, he was a day trader, which essentially meant he just picked stocks and he was throwing darts at a board and playing roulette. There's a big difference, right. correct me if I'm wrong here, Moinsey, between the stock market being legalized gambling and a collected effort to build your wealth because you can go gamble all day long if you really want to. Yeah. Right. But if you have a concerted effort, like you said, and stick to the process, this is a tried and true method to make sure you're building your wealth. Yeah. So, you know, what I always talk about and, and don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, some of the young guys, they, they like to, to have some adventure and I'm like, Mm -hmm. cool, that's fine. What, what can you, a certain percentage, right? Exactly. What you can give you them afford, a little bit to play with. What can you afford to lose? Yep. If you were to take 10 grand out of your, your, your nest egg and put it into a mad money account is what I call it. And, and it's just like a direct brokerage. You pick and choose the stocks that you want and, and you just do it. Go ahead and, and have, have you know, good luck at it, but also understand that that money is kind of out of play. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, it really kind of helps guys kind of appease their, uh, I need the nest egg, but I also want some excitement in my life. Um, and, and that's okay for, from my standpoint, but the mad money is also like, it, it's, it's, it's play money. And in fact, there, there, there are some institutions that um, actually allow you, they give you a, like a, a, a fun account, like they'll give you a hundred thousand dollars worth of play money in your online banking stuff and try your hand at trading for it. And so I, I show that to guys all the time. If you want to do this, you know, like try it on this. And some of the, you know, some of the responses are, but what if I like turn a hundred grand into 200 grand? It's fake money, man. I, I, I really want to do this. I'm like, okay, well do it with 10 grand. You don't need a hundred grand. <laughs> we did this in my economics course. That was the exact same thing. We had fake money that we could invest. Yeah. You know, and it yeah. was the competition who could do the most, yeah. but it was a short time frame. So the point of the whole exercise in the class 
was the person who came out on top who made the most, the reminder was, that's great. But what's this going to look like 10 years from now? Exactly. And that's exactly how it was phrased to us. We didn't know that we were part of an experiment. Right. They were really trying to guide us towards making smart decisions rather than home runs all the time, right. even though it's fun, right? Like you, I'm sure you have to balance that every day, letting your clients make purchases that they really want, that are, that are cool, that are completely frivolous, but they can afford to make and not yeah. get overboard with it. Yeah. I mean, for, for, for us, I, you know, we're, we're not the yes man. So we'll challenge guys on big purchases or frivolous pur purchases. Um, credit card um, stuff is very important to us. I, I mean, the idea of having an ability to pay for something with a tap or with a, a pin is important, but you also have to manage it properly because you can certainly get into trouble with it. We have an automated system where uh, during the season, um, every two weeks, um, you know, the cards are paid off for them. Um, and, and, you know, we, we leave a certain amount in the bank account and the rest of it's swept over to the, the, the other accounts. Um, but we're also watching them. And uh, my service director, Shannon, will, will tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, Moinsey, uh, you got to talk to this guy because, you know, he didn't sweep his normal amount because his credit card was like, way over over the top so um i think our players like that idea of we're kind of like shannon sitting on your shoulder here and i'm sitting on the other shoulder here and we're watching it uh to ensure that you know again it's your money you can do what you want with it but you've asked us to give you some guidance and uh i think it it's been very very well received from you know a lot of the guys just saying hey you are you are watching what we're doing and as much as we don't like to talk about the word budgeting, because that's a bad word, the B word, especially, if, you know, guys just don't like to hear a budget. Like they don't want to be told what to do. I like it more to be talked about as cash flow. What's coming in, what's going out and what's left over so that we can actually put a plan in place for you. You got a Jersey behind you with a ton of signatures. Yeah. You've got to interact with some amazing players, some amazing people during your career. When you look back and, and you think of some of those, what stands out as maybe not just your home runs from the financial side, but just your home runs in life, you know, the experiences you've gotten to have with some of the players that you work with? Yeah, it is. So this jersey is uh, my partners at One Capital uh, when they asked me to, to, uh, to run One Sports. Uh, they gave me this jersey uh, for me to take around the world basically when I was signing our, our players who were with me at RBC. And so they represent all the, the players who came with me from RBC to, to, to one. Um, I've kind of retired it. We've signed lots of other new guys, but you know, it was, uh, I'm not traveling very much these days anymore. So I, I kind of hung it up, but there are, there are two great stories um, out of that in the orange. Here's Pablo Cabina and Ron Wilson. And, and Kubi signed it first, um, but Ron was the, the, uh, the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs when Kubi was playing with him uh, and, and, and playing under his guidance there. And they had a love-hate relationship and, and they would always kind of battle, but like in a very good way. And, uh, and, and I think Ron really liked Kubi as a leader in the room. Um, and so when Kubi signed it in the one spot in the orange, Ron said to me, he said, uh, Moinsey, 
you got to take a picture of this while I'm doing this and send it to Kubi and tell him I say hi. Because <laughs> it was like, it was the perfect signature in the, in the perfect spot. And again, just the mutual respect that they had for each other was, was awesome. Uh, the other one that I, some of the, the highs, I mean, I, I was uh, asked by Carl Gunnarsson after he won the Stanley Cup uh, with Stanley, with uh, St. Louis. He called, he used to play here in Toronto and, uh, and he kind of grew up with my kids and he would be at the cottage and at the house and, and we'd go to games and see him and we, you know, go see other games. I think we went and saw a lacrosse game together and I still have that picture on, on my phone with my son. And he called me up and he said, Moinsy, I'd like you to, uh, to bring Charlie, my little guy over to, uh, to his Stanley cup party. And it was in Sweden, of course, Swedish guy. And so one of the biggest thrills I was able to, uh, to have within this, uh, this life that is one sports and, and my, my practice was to take Charlie over to Stockholm, Sweden, and, uh, you know, be able to, to get on the plane with them and, and uh, have basically about 72 hours together uh, traveling overseas. He had never traveled overseas. And uh, we spent a couple of days in Stockholm and then took a, a, a train out to, uh, to, Gunner's uh, uh, hometown and uh, we were you know basically a part of his Stanley Cup day and, and we were on the stage with Gunner we were in in the limo with Gunner and his dad and Mike Bolt the uh, the keep one of the keepers of the cup who I've known for years uh, is it the guy with the great haircut uh no that's Phil Phil that's Pritz. Phil okay yeah. Uh, Mike is is the the, uh, the younger uh, version of Phil, but still those two are work in tandem, and we had an amazing um, we had an amazing day with the cup. And I still in Charlie's room, he the cup was in the house, and and Charlie was in the kitchen. And it's one of those small little Swedish cottages that he grew up in, and uh, and and the cup was literally on a carpet in the in the kitchen and and charlie was like you could see him he's just like he's he's leaning down he's looking at the cup he's he's in admiration of this thing that's like in the kitchen of a house in sweden and this 11 year old kid is looking at it going like what is going on in my life right now <laughs> and and just to see his eyes kind of light up at the cup and I was able to, to kneel down and, and get a picture taken with him of the cup and it's in his, his room and he thinks about it all the time. Um, and then in a follow-up to that, when they, uh, they got their rings here in Toronto at the, the Hall of Fame ceremony, Gunnar came over for dinner that night and the, the ring, the rock on his finger, he, br he brought it to the, the house and you know the kids put it on and it was on our kitchen table and it, God, God knows it was it was like a centerpiece of, of our kitchen table. So those are a couple of stories that, that have been kind of like real highlights of, of me being a part of, of this, you know, it's, it's a real privilege to be a part of these, these young players and their families' lives. And I really think and hope that we bring value to them. And, and I know that, that that's the case. Uh, and I'm really, really blessed to be able to, to do that. Great memories. If people want to find out more about what you do, One Sports and Entertainment, where can you send them? 
Yeah. Uh, so onesports.ca is, is our website. Uh, one sports, uh, is on our Instagram and, and Moinzy eight is, uh, my, my handle on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, so we're kind of all over the place and, and, uh, the, uh, the website also has a, a bunch of our interviews that, that uh, we've done with uh, Ron McLean from Sportsnet and, and different uh, um, Bloomberg articles as well. So, hey, Mike, I really appreciate the time and, and uh, being a part of this. We, we go way back. Uh, and uh, I think I mentioned at the beginning, one of my favorite times with you was when we, we beat Dave Andrews, the, uh, the old CEO of the American Hockey League in, in his own uh, tennis championship down Hilton Head, and and uh, I just remember the one thing I said to you, Mike, as we were going into this this uh, this match with Dave. I said, you know, I, I'm a little bit older than you, Mike, so uh, I'll I'll throw the serve in there with a pretty big kicker. But let me just tell you, if anything goes over my head, that's yours. And I think you had a couple of uh, fence burns on your wrists and and arms. So thanks for uh, gutting that one out for us. I wanted to win so bad. I knew if I got to the net and I knew if I got my feet moving, I could track it down. That was a huge win. Dave Andrews had never lost in the, in the Hilton Head Board of Governors tennis tournament. We knocked him off the throne. Uh, there were threats that I would not be invited back the next year. That turned out to be false. Yeah. Uh, well, but, how about this one? Bill Daly, I met him at the, at the, the pool, um, pool house there for, for lunch the next day. And he, he's like, I couldn't move because I, was, I, I hadn't been playing for a while, but uh, Bill Daly said to me as I sat down next to him, he said, "Have you uh, have you seen Dave today? Because he's pissed." <laughs> this come from Bill Bill Daly. Of the he's NHL. an old goalie. We're competitive. That's what it comes down to. Exactly. That was so much fun. Oh, Moinsy, awesome! Thanks for joining me today. This is great. I know everybody's going to learn a lot from it, and hopefully have some wealth and financial guidance that they can take to heart, learn from it put it to good use. So thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. All the best of luck in the uh, the new season with what you're doing with Vegas. Big thanks to Chris Moynes for joining me today. If you enjoy Six Degrees, please subscribe and rate in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to all your podcasts. If you're interested in advertising on Six Degrees, please contact Believe at BLEAV.com. As always, you can find me at Mike McKenna 56 on all the socials. Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.